Good morning, church. Glad that you are hopping on, that you are coming on. It has just been excited to see how God is using this time and this moment in our church. Uh, I pray that you just continue to be blessed. Uh, for those of you that are coming only online, uh, just praying for you that God will bless you through this. For those of you that are meeting with your house churches, if you can, praying that God works through you today. I'm excited to preach uh, part two of what we started last week as we're going over our values. Last week, we talked about our values of community, discipleship, and prayer, that when the church was born, this is what they gave themselves over to. And this week, I wanna talk about what happened when they did that. These five outcomes that I believe we can see happen here. So read with me in scripture, we're gonna read Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47 again to refresh our mind on what it says, and then we'll go through it. So Acts chapter 2, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all and any that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their church day by day those who were being saved. Right, so we read and talked about last week how the church had given given themselves over to discipleship, to community uh, with one another, and to prayer. And we see these five incredible outcomes that happen. And I believe this will, can, and has happened today as we do these things with each other. And so I'm really excited to just kind of jump in there and believe God and uh, to see these things happen today as we do what he has called us to do. And some of the things we have seen and we'll continue to see and we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. Uh, But the first outcome that we see is this, awe, signs and wonders. When God is present among you, it is evident. One thing I love about the presence of God is that I don't have to convince somebody that God is present with us. They feel it. They see it. I've seen so many unbelievers come to a service and be blown away because they, I love how they describe it. It's like, Justin, I felt a force, you know, that I've never felt before, or, you know, I, I, I felt, you know, this, this thing all around my body, and I just, I've never gotten these vibes before, you know, and, and, and I love, like, it's just this, this very worldly language, because they don't know, they don't know what the Holy Spirit is, they've never heard of the Holy Spirit, they don't know what the power of God is like, you know, I remember one guy, that when he got prayed over, he, he asked me after, he said, did you just cast a spell over me? <laughs> and it's like, this is, We don't have terminology, but we know that something greater than us is present in the room. And that is what it is like when God is among you. You don't have to convince somebody that God is here. I remember in my childhood, I was plagued with this thought that I had to conjure up the presence of God, that somehow I had to make it happen. And as I got older and I matured in my faith, I realized the presence of God is not something I conjure. He is either there or he is not there. 
And there is no dance, there is no funny ritual or saying that I can do to make him be present. All I have to do is just be an open vessel and invite him in. And there he is. That how God wants to move, he will move. What God wants to do, he will do. I will just be a vessel of prayer and say, God, whatever you want to happen, make it happen. And the thing is, God wants to make things happen all the time. If you look at the life of Jesus, he said that he only did the things that he saw the Father doing. And you look at his life as a life that you look at that and you are awed, right? He has changed history so that we split our history into a time before Jesus and a time after Jesus. They can change the names all they want, but we all know what the event was that changed history was the birth of Jesus Christ. And so when God is present in the church, you don't have to convince somebody that he is there. They will be convinced by what God is doing and how he is present among you. There will be awe, there will be signs, there will be wonders. I remember not too long ago when we were meeting in the school, uh, we were doing an altar call and I just felt strongly God say, there are some people here that I want to heal of physical ailments. And so I I said, I was like, you know what? I, I used to be scared when that happened because I thought, this was the thought I had, I have to heal somebody now. Isn't that wild? I don't have power to heal anybody, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy talk. Like, what, what, power, what power do I have? I have none. And so I used to try to conjure it up by screaming really loud or praying really long, all the things that Jesus tells people not to do in Matthew chapter 6 when he talks about the Pharisees and the religious people. And I used to be really scared about that. But now I realize if God is saying this, this is on him. This is, this is not on me. My job is to just be obedient as a vessel of God. My job is not to do the work of God. And so I I made that call and two people came up and it was wild because both people were completely healed of what uh, their physical ailment was. And And one person I believe was never healed of something before, even though they had been a Christian for a while. And just to, to see the awe of God come over that person Uh, was incredible because the thing is about God that God is at work right now. Jesus said, greater things than I do, you will do. When God is present in the church, it is noticeable, it is tangible, it is evident that when God is among us, we will not have to convince anybody that he is here because God does not need anybody to to convince other people that he is present just this week. Heather had some crazy thing happening in her eye. And we've realized that Heather just like does not go to the doctor for anything. I didn't ask Heather if I could share this story, so I'm sorry in advance, Heather. Uh, but we, uh, she, she had this thing in her eye, it was crazy, it was bothering her. She goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh my God, this is not good. You can have permanent eye damage. Like, what are you doing? Why did you wait so long to come? How long have you had this? I'm gonna have to do surgery in two days. Here's a medicine that you're gonna take. If you have to come back to my office in two days, if this is not on track to get better, then I'm gonna have to do emergency eye surgery because otherwise it's a high possibility that you're gonna have permanent eye damage. And you know, she tells me this and I'm just like, God will take care of it. You know, it's just, I just, I knew God will take care of it. And so she, you know, she does the medicine as she's supposed to. She goes back to the doctor two days later. It just happened on Monday. She's at the doctor's office. And this doctor, who is not a Christian, looks at, looks at her eye, looks at the picture and says, wow, this is a miracle. 
And Heather, I love her response, she goes, oh, I believe in miracles. And he goes, wow, you do? And she said, yeah, I believe, I believe God still works miracles today. And he goes, well, you have a miracle that happened. He said, I've been working with somebody for the last two weeks, and they came in a lot sooner than you came in. And there has been very little progress with their eye, and it's the same exact thing. But your eye is completely healed. There is nothing left. He told her, finish out the medicine just because you're supposed to finish it out, but he saw no trace of it there. God still works miracles today. God still brings awe upon the church today. God is still present among us today. If I have to start convincing you of that, then there's a problem because that means that we've walked in such a way that God's presence does not feel comfortable to reside in our church. So when we are walking in the ways that God has called us to walk, guess what? His presence, his power is going to be there. And our reaction, an outcome to that is going to be awe. An outcome of that is going to be miracles. An outcome of that is going to be signs and wonders. And we thank God that he has done that in our past and he is going to continue to do that because he is present among us and he will be present among us in the future. The greatest sign of God being present is godly things happening. That's just the simple thing. Like if, if there are only things that humans can accomplish happening in your church, then that is not a sign of God being there. If the impossible is happening, if you're looking at what is happening, you're saying, this can only be God, then guess what? God is among you. Look for the God stories, the God outcomes, the things that only God can do and accomplish. He is working, he is present, and he is doing that. He has done that from the very beginning of our church. He is doing that now, and he will continue to do that in our future. The second outcome that we see is unity. See, the gospel is the only thing that can bring unity across all races across all classes, across all ages, and across all peoples. It is the only thing that can do. In fact, unity is so important that we read in Philippians that unity is the one thing that shows the enemy that he is going to be destroyed. Because when the church locks arms with one another, the enemy's main tool against the church is division, to get us to talk about each other, to get us to be mad at each other, to get us not to confront each other when we're angry, to get us to have bitterness towards one another. This is one of the enemy's main tools because he knows that if he can divide us, then he can win. And so one of the outcomes that we're walking in what God has called us to walk in, in true obedience and discipleship community and prayer, is that we walk in unity as one. You know, there's one thing that I've, I've found true. And as a leader, it's always been comforting to me. And it is that the Holy Spirit speaks to everybody. So I know that I'm not the only one that hears from God that I can rely on our leadership team, that I can rely on the people around me to hear from God, that I do not hear from God in a vacuum. Too many times pastors have this Moses complex where they think in the Old Testament there was only certain people that can hear from God. 
And that's how it was, and that's how it was set up, and Moses was who Moses was. But in the New Testament, that's different. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us, and all of us have access to the throne room of God. There's no temple and a high priest anymore, or a plate, a tent of meeting where only Moses is allowed to go into it. But all of us are allowed into the Holy of Holies, because when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two. And so what happens in a church is all of us hear from God, are moving in unison from God, and walk in deep unity. And when God is present among us, when we are doing what God has called us to do, there is deep unity among the church, where we can say, yeah, we're, we're rocking together. Unity does not mean conformity. That does not mean that we all have the same ideas, that we all have the same thoughts, that we all have the same language, that we all have the same culture. That is not what unity is. You can see that all throughout scripture, that Paul even says, I will become all things to all people, that I may win some, that some people, he was a Greek, some people, his Jewish roots came out. You, you see that there were different cultures and that there were different peoples. And what did Paul do? He conformed to them so he can preach the gospel. And then there was a unity across all the body and all the different cities. And what unity does is it brings the closest picture that we get to heaven. In Revelation, it says that every nation and every tongue, there will be a representation of all those different people and all those different languages. And so when we worship together in unity and there's different people from different races, from different classes, there's different people that from different ages with different languages, what is that? That is a picture of heaven. That is a picture of, of heaven on earth. God has called us to a place of unity, but unity is a natural outcome when you are walking in the things of God. And when there is unity present in the body, that is a sign to the enemy that he is going to lose, that he cannot penetrate into the church, that he cannot get inside anywhere, that there are no open doors, there are no windows for him to crawl through or slide through because he is going to be destroyed. He will not prevail against the church. I don't care what our differences are or what our similarities are, quite Frankly, when we, have, when we choose friends by worldly standards, usually we choose them by, well, do you like the same things that I like? You know, like someone could tell me they like video games, but that's not like the same as my video games, right? They could like play, you know, NBA 2K and FIFA. I will never touch one of those games. Those games, in my opinion, I hate playing games like that. But if somebody is like playing StarCraft or Counter-Strike, like those are my videos, right? So I will choose my gaming friends around the people that like the same kind of video games as me. This is how we do it in worldly standards. But the beauty of the gospel is it doesn't matter. You could play FIFA and I could play StarCraft, but guess what? Who cares? Why? Because there's something that's more important about our preferences when we hear the gospel. And that's this, our shared mission. It's been said time and time again, the one true way to get people together, no matter what difference, is to give them a shared mission of something to do together. And that is what the gospel does, is the gospel gives us a shared mission of what the church's mission is, to preach the good news, to tell everybody to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth, just as it is in heaven. And when that 
And when we are doing what we are called to do, when we are mission, as we are called to be on mission, what is the natural outcome of that? It is unity. It is unity among the believers, unity among the body, unity among the church. You see that on a large scale as the church in New York City. You see that on a smaller scale as our church, as Zion Church, and even as a smaller, in a, in a more micro scale, as a house church or a team or a leadership group, right? All of these things, we experience unity together because we have a shared mission and we have been saved by the same God and we get spoken to by the same Holy Spirit. He's not telling you to do one thing and me to do another thing, right? That's, that's division. That's, that's two different visions. That's two different things. He's calling us in one mission as one body to do one thing together. And when we are doing what he's called us to do, one of the natural outcomes that will happen is a deep unity that will happen in our church. The third thing, the third outcome that we see is financial sacrifice. These people looked at what they had and they sold it. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. They were selling their houses. That's, I mean, honestly, if I'm gonna be honest, it's hard to imagine. You know, even back then, it, property, you know, if you start to think about investments and you think about long-term wealth or you have a wealth advisor, one thing that you will always learn is property is one of the greatest ways uh, to transfer wealth to your children and their children. It has been one of the most tried and true financial investments over all of time. Uh, and in to, today's day and age, it's the same thing. When you have property, that is an heirloom that will keep wealth in your family. And back then, though, it was a lot harder to acquire property and property meant a lot more, especially with unstable monetary systems and seasons. You know, it wasn't like now that, okay, maybe, you know, there's a drought in California, but we can get our oranges from Florida, right? It, it, it wasn't like, we, there wasn't globalization, didn't exist. And so things were a lot stable, but what, unstable, but what you had was you had property. Like this, this was going to be in my family forever. This was this was our heirloom. This is what gave us our status. This was everything. And so people literally began to sell their property and bring the proceeds to the church. They looked at the things that they had and said, what is more important? The, the moving forward of the kingdom or me having this possession? And the answer was so clear. Every single day was the moving forward of the kingdom, right? This, this is an outcome only of God that we can take the things that we love the things that give us status, the things that give us power, the things that give us the, the things that give us happiness, and we can get rid of them for the thing that will only trump all of that, and that is all the things that God offers us, true salvation. And so the early church, they see this, that God is working in their midst. They are devoting themselves to scripture. And what do they do? They begin to sell what they have. They begin to, they bring the proceeds and they give it uh, to the apostles to be distributed as needed. And there's, there's one reality here. And that's this, every movement needs resources. That is nothing new. It is the same back then as it is now. And when God is working God will work on people's heart to bring the resources. And you see this in such a powerful way that they looked around at the need. I mean, you got to think about this. The church was literally just born, right? 3,000 people get saved. There, 
there was probably a lot of poverty among them. There was probably a, a, a huge gap in between wealth and, and unwealth. And so they look at, at that, and just like James says that, you know, if, if you come to the assembly and you see your brother in need and you have the means to help your brother in need, but instead you pray, God be with you, peace be with you, and you leave, then you do not have real faith. Real faith is when you see your brother in need and you have the means and you are able to fulfill that need. We see that, like James is painting a vision of the early church. Like this is the garden moment, what I talked about last week. This is what we should be doing. This is the, the outcome that is the tangible outcomes of when God is moving and the ways that he wants to move in the people of God. They took their houses, they sold it. They took their things and they sold it. When God comes upon a people, we realize that what we have is not our own, but it is his and for him to do what he wants with it. One of the, the greatest evidences of God's work in a church is the generosity of that church. Because... I think it's even more important now for the American church because in Western culture, when I was in finance class, it didn't matter what class you were in. I got my degree in finance and business administration. Every single class, they told you one thing and they drilled it home over and over and over again. And that is this, cash is king. Cash is king. We are driven around a system that the more you have, the more that you are. And we have, like if you, if you look at history and you look at how the, the church has evolved to worldly systems, you look at Greek culture and the Greek church, they, they turned it into a philosophy. When you look at the Romans, they turned it into a political structure. When you look at the Americans, we have turned it into a business. It is, it is we have allowed these things to seep in, what we do with it and how we use it. And so when God begins to work on us and we become generous as a people, to me that is one of the greatest evidences that God is at work amongst the people, that God is at work in our heart, that God is at work in our community because we are taking the main thing that our society says, this is who you are, this is everything that you have, without it you are nothing, and we are saying you're right. Without this, I am nothing, but with God, I am everything. Guess what? Without it, I am nothing, but with it, I am nothing, because God is everything that I have. So they gave up. They gave up their greatest possessions, their greatest wealth. They sold it to see the kingdom move forward. That was evidence then. It is evidence now that God is at work. The fourth outcome that you see of God's work in them is new rhythms. Their entire lives were changed, right? When you, when you think of your life, you have basically filled up all your time. Even if you filled it up with doing nothing, you filled it up, right? I, I don't really know many adults that just have like tons of time laying around on their hands. Even if you're not working or something like that, you figured out things to do at your time. You are busy watching Netflix, right? You are busy 
playing this game. You are busy binging this show. We have so many things that we have filled our time with. And what happens, it's the same thing back then. Everybody fills their time. This is a natural thing that we do. But we see that their entire life rhythms were changed. And I think about how often we want all of God's goodies, but we don't want him to change any of our lifestyle. And it's like, God, I want you to do all these things for me, but I'm never gonna change anything that I do. I just, I just want your blessing and I wanna keep doing the thing that I do. But we, that's actually not a outcome of the gospel. A true outcome of the inworking of the Holy Spirit in your life is that your life changes. You don't have to change to come to God, but you will change when you meet with God. That is the reality. Right? We, we don't have to be perfect to come to him. We don't have to do better. He takes us where we are. But when we encounter him, we begin to change. And so one of these big outcomes is that their lives change. Their rhythms change. They have new rhythms as a community. It says that day by day, they were doing this daily thing. They were doing these three things every day. They were diving deeper in community. They were having fellowship with one another. They were learning and praying at the temple every single day. They were going to the temple. They were learning together. They were praying together again. They were were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the scriptures. And they were praising God. So their whole lives were radically changed. What they were doing on a regular basis now went out the window and they had these new rhythms that they had as a community, as a people that they did together, that they encountered God on a regular basis every single day. This was not a Sunday fad. We have so often regulated God to a Sunday morning and we have said, you get this portion of my life, but you are not allowed to change Sunday afternoon to Saturday night. Those things are mine. And we treat our time like a tithe and we say, God, I'm only going to give you a portion of it when God is very clear that we do not fit him into our schedule. God becomes our schedule. He is the one that shapes our schedule. He is the one that shapes our time because when we try to fit God into it, guess what? He never fits in neatly the way that he's supposed to. We are always in our culture too busy for the things that God has called us to do. The the hardest things that I have found in my life have been to stop working and to spend time in prayer and scripture instead. Because in a world that values productivity so much, the rhythms of working from the minute I wake up to the minute I go to sleep seem like the things successful people do. And instead, God calls me not to work, to sit down and read his scripture, to meditate with him, to spend time in prayer with him. And in those moments in the natural, I'm accomplishing nothing. And so when I try to fit God in, I think like, God, if I'm gonna get through my to-do list today, well, you just don't fit into that. And so I'm not gonna be with you. But when we encounter God, one of the telltale outcomes of that is our life rhythms change. Our daily rhythms change. We see ourselves like the early church. We begin to dive deeper in community with others. We we begin to learn and pray with our church. We begin to praise God on a regular basis. That praise is always on our lips. These are new rhythms and habits that we form as a people. 
Sunday morning is no longer just, this is my time regulated to God, but my entire life is now owned and controlled by God. Sunday now becomes every single day of the week for me. God does not get fitted into my schedule. God is my schedule. And that is an outcome of an encounter with him that we now ask him, God, what would you have me do? I try to start off every day like that. God, what would you have me do today? The thing, these are the things I plan to do today. This is my calendar today, but I put that before you. How do I need to rearrange it? Where do I need to spend extra time with you? Every time where I ignore the things that God has called me to do, I can tell you those have been tough days. But when I've done the things that God has called me to do, even though they don't make sense, guess what? He has taken care of everything that I needed taken care of. The fifth outcome that we see is growth. Sometimes church people don't want to talk about the numbers. But let me tell you, numbers are important. They tell a story, an important story. Someone sat down and counted 3,000 people that got saved that day. They knew the amount of people that came into the church in that moment. They recorded it. They didn't even only count it, but they recorded it. Luke recorded it for, for us. Luke tells us at the end of this passage that people were added to the church daily. They saw growth, numerical growth in their community. Here's, here's the thing. Godly, healthy communities grow. When you have a godly, healthy community, it is a witness to the church outside. Good community, healthy community, it should paint a picture of what God has truly called us to do, what God's people have truly called to look like on this earth. And outside people look at that and they will long for it, right? In a, in a world of loneliness, in a world of, of untrue connections online, they will look at the depth of community and they will long for it. They will long for absolute truth, someone to tell them, yes, this is right and this is wrong, in a world that tells them that everything is relative, do what you want. Except for you disagreeing with me, of course, you can't do that, but that's another story. Right? We, are, we have a world that is longing for something that is greater than them. And when they will look at our church, when they look at our body, they will see a beautiful picture of what we were created for, of how we were created to work together, of how we were created to love one another, of how we were created to care for one another. And they will long to be a part of that. So growth is one of the most easy ways to see healthy community, it will grow numerical. Now, the thing to say though is numbers aren't important for numbers sake. And I think that's where the issue has come in. Numbers tell the story of how people cannot resist being around a God movement. That when the church is being the church, people can't help themselves but come. But when you make, see what's, what's important for all of this, when you make the outcomes the things that you are working towards, that's, that's when it becomes a no-no. 
So when I, when I look at the unity or when I, I look at the growth in numbers or when I look at the signs and wonders and I think, how do I make that happen? How do I make signs and wonders happen? How do I make more people come? How do I make sure that we have unity? How do I, how do I make sure that people are giving everything that they're supposed to be giving? When we look at the outcomes and we think about, and that's the thing that we focus on, instead of what God has called us to focus on, which is discipleship, which is community, which is prayer, What happens is we twist all this up and we become an unhealthy church. So what we need to do is we need to give ourselves over to the values and say we are going to dive deep into discipleship. We are going to hunger and thirst after the word of God that when we read it, that when we hear it, that we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to change and transform our mind, our habits, our patterns, our heart, our thinking. All of that is on the table for you to change. And we think about community. We say, God, I, don't, I, I was not created to go about this alone. Every wall that I have a barrier up, every defense mechanism that I've created over my lifetime, God, I ask you to tear it down right now. Lord, in the ways that I've been selfish and I haven't talked to other people, help me to walk and say hi or to, to open up my home or to open up my mouth or to make a new connection with somebody. These, this is our family. Right? When we, when we focus on praying together and say, God, we are humble before you. We want to see you at work. We know we cannot do this on our own. When we focus on the things that God has told us to focus on, we will see the outcomes come naturally that we see here happen in the early church. We don't have to think about numbers all the time. We will record them. We will see them happen. They will be benchmarks for us. We don't have to think about how do we conjure up this week a new healing. Why? Because when God is present, people will be healed. We don't have to ask ourselves. And, and force people into new rhythms. Why? Because when people encounter God, their life is changed. They're looking for new ways to go about things. And so if these outcomes aren't happening in us as a church, if they aren't happening in your house church, if they aren't happening in your life, really the question is, have we done the things that God has told us to do? Have we worried about the things that God has told us to worry about? Have we allowed ourselves to to, to dive deep into these pillars that God has told us should be the pillars of our church? Have we walked in true discipleship? Have we dove into real community? Have we given ourselves over to the work of prayer? Those are the real questions that we need to be asking. And I don't want us to get sidetracked with the outcomes. The outcomes are how we know it's happening. And the outcomes are, are important to have as a, a health checklist for our church and important to understand and important to know. But we have to constantly come back to the values and say, God, these things aren't happening. Are, are we not obeying your scripture? Are we not giving ourselves over to prayer? Are we not opening our heart to each other? We need to go back to what God has called us to be and repent for how we have looked maybe to the left and to the right and forgot about the thing that he has called us to do. I want to encourage you, us, Zion as a church, let's be the church that God has called us to be. It's easy right now to be discouraged. It's easy to throw away 
all the things that God has called us to do and, and use the excuse of, well, well, this has happened and this has happened and it's unprecedented in this time and it's unprecedented in this time. Yeah, maybe it's unprecedented in our lifetime, but it is not unprecedented in scripture. It is not unprecedented in the history of the church. God is working even now. In Hebrews, it says, we are not a people that we shrink back. This is a time we step up. This is the time that we be the church. This is the time that we see what we are really made of, what God has called us to be, what God has chosen us to be. And we walk in that. We are not a people that shrink back. We didn't shrink back when we lost our building. We didn't shrink back when COVID first hit. We're not gonna shrink back now. And many of us may be feeling weary. I wanna encourage you right now, talk about that with somebody. Maybe you'll have an opportunity in your house church when you meet, maybe you just need to pull a friend from service. Maybe you just you need to text another person that you know that follows God. Talk to somebody about it. Because this is the time where we can see God's faithfulness to us and that we can be faithful to God in all things. And we will see all the great things, all these incredible outcomes. These things continue to happen while Christians were being killed, murdered in the streets. We haven't even come close to that here in America. And so yes, it may be hard, it may be out of our comfort zone, but church, let's not shrink back. Let's remember who God has called us to be and let's dive into that in a way that we haven't done before. Let's, let's hunger and thirst in a way that we haven't before. Let's say, yeah, it's hard right now. It's been difficult more than ever, but this is the time now that we need to be a church more than ever. I wanna encourage you, talk to your house church and ask them, ask each other, have we seen these outcomes? and celebrate the outcomes that you have seen in your house church. I've seen so many stories of just deeply going into community like never before, of people reading the word together, never read the word together, of house churches praying together on a regular basis, some every night, some a few times a week, and it's just been incredible to see the manifestation of some of these things happen, of people coming together like they never came together before. Celebrate those things. Where have you seen these outcomes? But then also ask, are there outcomes you haven't seen? And ask, where is the root of that? Where, where, where are we missing it in scripture? Where are we missing it in prayer? Where are we missing it in community? Be honest about that, it's fine. We're not perfect, we talk about that all the time. It's, it's, it's not bad to talk about our flaws. It's, it's revealing to allow Jesus to work in a new way in our heart, to confess those things, to repent of those things, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in those things. So I wanna encourage you today, grab somebody, talk to somebody, air it out, celebrate the good things that God has done. And then see, man, where are the places that we haven't seen this and how can God move in a new and a fresh way? Pray with me. Father, I thank you for what you have called us to. I thank you that here in this garden moment for the church, that we see how you have called the church just to work together, that there's, there's benchmarks that they walked in, ways that we can point at and say, wow, they were, they were walking in these ways. Lord, I pray that you would help open up our eyes, open up our eyes as a church to any blind spots we may have, to any outcomes that 
that show an unhealthiness in certain areas. God, that you would help us speak in honesty to celebrate and party around the good things that have happened and to also talk about the places that have been hard that maybe we haven't been cutting in, we haven't been living up to the core values that we have said as a church and how we can walk those things out together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.